Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Hi, I'm Toby Young, one of Quillette's London-based editors. On Wednesday, August 28th, the government of Great Britain and Northern Ireland announced it would be asking the Queen to prorogue Parliament, i.e. bring an end to the current session of the British Parliament so a new one can begin. Nothing unusual about that. All governments do it, with parliamentary sessions typically lasting 12 months. But this particular move has been greeted with outrage, with the request being described as a coup and the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, as a tin-pot dictator. Why? Because prorogations usually only last a few days, whereas the government has requested that this one run for over four weeks, reducing the amount of time Parliament has to discuss Brexit in the run-up to the exit deadline, which is October 31st. Boris claims the reason he's proroguing Parliament is because he wants his government to set out its legislative programme, and, by convention, that is done by the mechanism of a speech given by the Queen, but written by the government, at the beginning of a new parliamentary session. However, that would only require Parliament to be prorogued for a few days. His real motive, according to his critics, is to reduce the room for manoeuvre by those parliamentarians who want to stop the UK leaving the European Union on October 31st, particularly leaving with no deal. By reducing the number of days on which Parliament will be sitting between now and then, Boris has made it more difficult for them to block the UK's exit. For instance, by passing legislation forcing him to ask for an extension to the Brexit deadline, although they may still have an opportunity to do that when the new parliamentary session begins in the middle of October. One of the ways in which Brexit's opponents have taken Boris to task is to accuse him and his government of acting unconstitutionally, which is a difficult charge to make stick in the UK. Unlike the United States, France and Germany, Britain doesn't have a written, codified constitution. There is no single document Boris's critics can point to proving that the government is in breach of the constitution and therefore behaving illegitimately. The British constitution is more like a living, breathing organism, a mixture of common law, parliamentary statute and convention, including something as nebulous and undefined as gentlemanly conduct. To complicate matters, these different parts of the constitution are sometimes at odds with each other. For instance, something may be legally permitted by the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act, but forbidden by convention. This week in the Quillette podcast, I wade into these murky waters with Carl Gardner, a former government lawyer who now teaches constitutional law at Britain's largest law college. We were speaking on the day of the government's announcement, and since we're on different sides of the Brexit debate, me pro, Carl anti, our conversation became quite heated at times. Because this is such a complex area and there was so much ground to cover, it's also a bit longer than usual. I hope you can bear with us. So, Carl, this government wants to end the current parliamentary session, which I gather at three years is the longest parliamentary session since the Civil War. 
and wants there to be a Queen's speech in which it sets out its legislative programme for the next session, and that therefore it has prorogued Parliament and will recall Parliament um, before we've actually left the European Union on October 31st, assuming we do. So it's not an attempt to railroad through Brexit, let alone a no-deal Brexit. It's actually a restoration of constitutional normality after this unusually long parliamentary session. Well, that's what the government would say to justify what it's doing, certainly. Prorogation has always been completely uncontroversial. And somebody was saying to me on Twitter the other day that they didn't really think that prorogation had any purpose in the Constitution now. And I think I agree with that. It's just something that's never got been got rid of. It's always hung up because it's been completely harmless and uncontroversial and have been completely boring. Now, it's true that the government has some arguments that it can use to justify what it's doing and to say that it's normal. In a way, on the face of it, it is normal that, that the government should have a Queen's speech at some point. As you say, the parliamentary session has been very long. And as you say, it's normal for there to be a prorogation before the Queen's speech. But um, I don't, I'm not a supporter of the government. And uh, it seems obvious to me that this is not normal at all. Um, prorogation, even if you have a Queen's speech, prorogation for five weeks is certainly not necessary. It could be a couple of days. Is it five weeks, though, if you factor in that... Parliament wouldn't sit during the party political conference season, which lasts three weeks in any event. Wouldn't it? Parliament, MPs would decide that. And the thing about the normal recess kind of adjournment for the conference season is that the House of Commons itself decides to have that recess. Mm. Um, Boris Johnson, today, the government, have deprived MPs of the right to choose to do that or not. I mean, I think that there was some talk in the last few days by Remainers, if you like, opponents of the government of cancelling the conference recess. Well, they can't do that now. Right. But just on the issue of whether this is normal or abnormal before getting into constitutional weeds, it would be normal, would it not, for MPs to suspend Parliament during the conference season? Um uh, so had they chosen not to, that would have been abnormal. So even though Boris has deprived them of that opportunity, it's only abnormal in the sense that it has prevented them from acting abnormally. Well, yeah, but, uh, uh, I hope I'm not making this excessively partisan, Toby. That's what a supporter of the government would say. Okay. Uh, and I admit that I'm not one. But I think to neutrals, to people who aren't supporters of the government, I think, isn't it obvious that we are in abnormal times? Uh, we have the Brexit deadline running out on the 31st of October. Uh, there isn't time to waste. Uh, I think the proposal that, a uh, recent proposal that perhaps Parliament should sit through conference season was a reasonable one, and it was reasonable for MPs to vote on it. Now, if that had been, if that recess had been passed by MPs, you wouldn't have had any complaint from people like me. But it hasn't been. It's been imposed by the government. Also, uh, there is another factor here that, that 
people on Twitter have made clear, which is important. Prorogation stops Parliament doing anything. The recess for conference would have been different. I think parliamentary committees could have sat, if necessary. Various other activities in Parliament could take place, which can't when you're prorogued. So this strikes me. I mean, the, the discussion between us actually reflects the deep division in Britain about everything mm -hmm. now. And this is a Brexit division. It's a government versus opposition division. But I think if you're not a supporter of the government... This looks like very abnormal, abusive constitutional behaviour. And the reason how people interpret this latest move is largely dictated by which side they take on the issue of Brexit is because it has important ramifications uh, for the ability of those who want to block a no-deal Brexit on October 31st to do so. Do you want to just spell out what those are? Yes. Uh, one thing that the opposition could do would be um, have a vote of no confidence in the government, um, which is often traditionally thought of as bringing the government down. We may talk about that later. But the opposition is reluctant to do that, basically because there's a lot of doubt about, could you replace the government with another one? Would the constitution allow that? Even if it did... Who would that be? Mm -hmm. Jeremy Corbyn doesn't really have very much support in Parliament, actually, even though he's the main uh, opposition leader. Um, there certainly isn't a majority that wants him to be Prime Minister, and it's very difficult to get a, a majority for any other alternative. So MPs are reluctant to do that, and they've been talking instead about forcing the government, by passing legislation, forcing the government to extend Article 50, to extend the Brexit process and avoid a no-deal Brexit. Well, that would require some parliamentary time. And so the government's move today, proroguing Parliament, ensuring there is a long recess, a long gap, cuts down the time for opponents of the government to take control in that way. It cuts down the time, but it doesn't make it impossible, does it, if the government's opponents are determined to do it. And if they can secure the cooperation of John Burko, the Speaker of the House, and if circumstances combine, they may be able to, I think the phrase is what, seize control of the order paper yes. and pass legislation mandating Boris Johnson to request an extension and postpone the October 31st deadline. Yes, I think that's fair. It doesn't absolutely, it doesn't make it impossible but it does make it harder. And I think that's the intention of it, frankly. It seems to me that Boris Johnson wants to corner his opponents into attempting a vote of no confidence because he thinks that that will lead to an election, which, which I think is what he wants really now. If the opponents of Brexit, when Parliament resumes, can take advantage of what is admittedly a smaller window of opportunity to pass legislation mandating that Boris Johnson requests an extension. Isn't there some question mark about whether that would in fact tie Boris's hands? Because for legislation to become law, it doesn't simply have to be passed by both houses of parliament. And there's a question about whether the legislation, even if it got through the Commons, 
would get through the Lords because, after all, the government has within its power the ability to flood the House of Lords with pro-Brexit peers who could frustrate the passage of that bill in the House of Lords beyond October 31st. But even if it did pass both Houses of Parliament, it then has to be assented to by the Queen. The Queen assents to parliamentary bills on the advice of her ministers. And it's possible, isn't it, that in this febrile, as you say, abnormal atmosphere, that the government's ministers, Boris, could withhold that advice from the Queen. They could claim that they are the victims of a coup, that it's undemocratic, that these MPs have conspired to obstruct the will of the British people who voted by a majority three years ago to leave the European Union. Your Majesty, withhold your assent from this bill. We will call a general election after we've left. Uh, So if there is pressure on you to act, it certainly won't be for very long. And we think that if, if we did do the bidding of Parliament and advised you to assent to this bill, leaving us with no choice but to ask the European Union for an extension, that would be undemocratic and that would cause widespread civil unrest. It would be effectively an undemocratic coup. Your Majesty, follow our advice, don't assent to this bill. I mean, that would be a constitutional crisis, but do you not think that they could do that? Well, I think this government now could do anything. Uh, I'm not a fan of what it's done today. I think that what the government has done today takes us into constitutional crisis territory. Uh, Once again, British people will be deeply divided about this, I think. And those who support the government and those who support Brexit, certainly those who support a no-deal Brexit, will see it your way uh, and see the opposition as somehow creating a constitutional crisis. Well, I see it the other way entirely. Uh, What we've seen developing over the last few months in particular in Britain is quite worrying it's what I mean, I think of myself as a, as a centrist politically very much. And as, as far as the Constitution's concerned, which I, I think it's fair to say in, in our lifetimes, Toby, has not really been a com- very controversial thing in British politics. I mean, it's not like the United States where, where there are constant controversies about the Constitution. It's not even like, like Ireland or anywhere like that where... where constitutional amendments uh, are the bread and butter of politics. The Constitution's been uncontroversial in Britain for for many, many years. But I, as a centrist, and I think constitutionally a conservative, I now sense that a new constitutional movement is developing in Britain. I'm, I'm beginning to call it a new crown fundamentalism. I think it's developing within the Conservative Party. And I don't think it's conservative in nature at all. I think it's aggressively asserting the power of central government over all other institutions, over Parliament, over the courts, over the public itself. This is why I say it's not really um, conservative in temper. I think it's something else. And it's why I call it fundamentalist, because... I think fundamentalism to me is something new and radical and ideological that claims 
a kind of originalism or conservatism to it. And I think that's what's happening now. So, for instance, the argument that it's legitimate for the government, in effect, to prorogue Parliament, is it, what it's saying is the government is top dog in the British Constitution over Parliament. What you're saying there, what you're suggesting, ministers advising the Queen to withhold royal assent, to, in effect, veto a bill... This is again saying the government has the whip hand in the constitution, and not parliament. And, and that all the normal rules of behaviour, all constitutional conventions and other norms that have governed Britain quite happily and in quite a conservative manner from, for a long time, are being thrown out. And they're being thrown out by the government. And, and I think it's a very worrying time. The response to that on the pro-government side is that the proponents of Brexit in Parliament didn't start down this road of playing fast and loose with the Constitution. That happened during the present parliamentary session, but when another government was in charge. Um, by seizing control of the order paper, by initiating legislation in the Commons, and by proposing to initiate legislation in the Commons to force the government to ask for a Brexit extension. They are breaching the constitutional convention that legislation is introduced by the government, not by the House of Commons unless it's a private member's bill. And for the opponents of Brexit and those who want to seize control of the order paper and pass a bill in the teeth of government opposition, for them to suddenly faint with an attack of the vapours on the grounds that this government is behaving unconstitutionally is wildly hypocritical. They've been intending to behave unconstitutionally, and in doing what he's done, which is perfectly legal, Boris Johnson has just made it more difficult, but not impossible, for them to do something which is, by your light, surely, at least as constitutionally abnormal as what Boris has just done. Well, no, I don't think it is. Yet again, we see this division. I think what's going on here, again, from the point of view of someone who's not a supporter of the government, is a complete false equivalence and getting things totally out of proportion. What you're talking about, a convention that the government introduces legislation, the government controls what goes on in Parliament. Well, I don't think that is a convention. What it is, is a standing order of the House of Commons, which the House of Commons has decided on, which the House of Commons can decide to depart from. It's up to the House of Commons. And what happened, what you're complaining about as the original sin here, is simply the House of Commons deciding its own procedures. That's uncontroversial, that that's what the Parliament, the House of Commons can do. And so I don't think it did anything wrong. If there was anything wrong at all, though, and this is really my big point, if there's anything wrong at all, and if, say, the Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burko, has done anything wrong, first of all, it's only quite a small thing. And secondly... A smaller thing than Parogian Much, much smaller. There's a, a complete disproportion between these things. And it's up to, to those of us who don't support the government, I, actually, it sounds really quite sinister 
for government supporters to be comparing these things as though they're on the same scale at all. We're talking about closing down Parliament in Westminster, Toby. It's absolutely, totally out of proportion as some kind of retaliation for the House of Commons itself to decide to suspend temporarily its own standing orders. Well, it's not a retaliation. It uh, it just it just limits the freedom of the opponents of Brexit to behave in what they would argue is an unconstitutional way. I think this would be less controversial if what the opponents of Brexit in the House of Commons uh, were proposing to do wasn't something that was in the teeth of first the referendum result. We could argue about that. Yeah, we um, could. Uh, but secondly, um, seems to be contrary to the platform they stood on in the 2017 general election, in which both the Labour Party and the Conservative Party issued manifestos saying they intended to respect Brexit. Parliament's sovereignty derives its constitutional legitimacy by being a democratically elected body, but the power, the source of its authority, lies with the people. So the fact that they are trying to behave in this way, change their own standing orders in order to apparently frustrate the will of the people makes it less constitutionally legitimate. They're doing it with less constitutional authority than they would be if they hadn't stood on the manifesto as they did in 2017 and Parliament hadn't passed by an overwhelming majority Article 50, which effectively makes it legally imperative that we leave at the end of the Article 50 process. Um, now, you will say that no, the outcome of the referendum was less clear-cut than that, and the people who voted to leave didn't necessarily vote to leave with no deal, um, and that when Labour and even the Conservative Party said they wanted to respect the Brexit referendum result in their 2017 manifestos, that didn't commit them to leaving with no deal. But I guess the comeback to that is, well, okay, if those opposed to a no-deal Brexit aren't opposed to Brexit, aren't opposed to Brexit per se, just a no-deal Brexit. Well, they've had three years to pass a deal. They've certainly had ample opportunity in the present parliamentary session, maybe not three years, but certainly ample opportunity to pass a deal. And they've squandered that opportunity. They can't agree. And the strong implication is that the reason they had been reluctant to approve any of the deals put before Parliament. I think Theresa May bent over backwards to try and secure parliamentary consent to the withdrawal agreement, a Brexit with a deal. Um, the reason they haven't voted to leave with a deal is because actually they don't want to leave. And that when they stood on, many of them, when they stood on those 2017 manifestos, didn't really believe it, nor was intended to either frustrate Brexit in whatever shape or form it took, deal or no deal, and wanted to either revoke Article 50 or, uh, by hook or by crook, bring about a second referendum, which they hoped that Remain would leave. Um, so when, 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 when you yourself are expressing outrage about the, this new 
crown fundamentalism, that feels like it's 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 strongly informed by um, your own views on Brexit, um, and that I think if this wasn't in the context of leaving the European Union, then neither of us would be getting hot under the collar about this, and it wouldn't really be interpreted as crown fundamentalism, wouldn't it? It would just be a minor storm in a constitutional teacup. Well, I disagree with so much of that, Toby. I'd better not go back on everything. <laughs> you know, you talked about manifestos. The Conservatives' manifesto wasn't a no-deal manifesto in 2017. And you talked about people voting against a deal. Well, Boris Johnson voted against Theresa May's deal. Uh, so you can blame him as much as any Remainer. But on the point you've just made, I very much disagree with that. Because one of the points, I think what I think what we're seeing here, I, I've never been a supporter of the British Conservative Party. But I, in some ways, the, the puzzle is, why not? Uh, we have a very left-wing Labour Party that I certainly couldn't, in fact, I left, that I left because of Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. And who is a danger to the country, in my view. And I don't think that centrists or moderates or conservatives in British life can really support Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. Um, and constitutionally, I'm a conservative. I don't agree with plans for a written constitution and federalism and things in the UK that people like the Liberal Democrats support. Um, and uh, not that long ago, the conservatives were selling themselves to the public as quite a moderate centrist force under David Cameron. We have socially liberal measures like same-sex marriage and so on. And I think was potentially appealing to people like me. Now, what Brexit has done, or one of the things Brexit has done, and this is operating in the field of the Constitution, is it's politicising the Constitution, it's politicising the Queen, we've seen that today. And I think it's causing a split between... The sort of person like me, maybe conservative isn't the right word for me. In fact, I'm sure it's not, although a lot of constitutional lawyers call me a constitutional conservative. But the moderate or centrist definitely is a good word for me. There's a split between us on the one hand and these new radicals uh, who, who really are believing in state power and the power of central government. And we're seeing a split between radical conservatives like Boris Johnson, like somebody like, I don't know, Jacob Rees-Mogg or uh, Marc Francois, people like that, on the one hand. And on the other, more traditional centrist conservatives, constitutional conservatives like Dominic Grieve, like Kenneth Clark. I think this is a split in British conservatism and moderate opinions. And let me put it to you this way. You said in other contexts, neither of us would be outraged. But we would. I think it's quite likely we will have a Corbyn-led Labour government before too soon. There's certainly a risk of that. And that government will be able to take advantage of every precedent in favour of central state power being top dog in the Constitution. That's the precedent that Boris Johnson is trying to establish today. And believe you me, Jeremy Corbyn might be too naive and hopeless to take advantage of these things, but John McDonnell is not. There's a very determined man who will be able to use all these levers. And he wouldn't, will, he do that he will, wouldn't he have done that he anyway? Will, he'll have cover now. He'll have cover. But he would have to, done it with or without cover. He'll have cover to do it 
uh, to prorogue Parliament whenever necessary, to nationalise this or take over that. Um, he'll, he'll have some cover. If, if this government gets yet more radical and does the sort of thing you were suggesting, trying to force the Queen to withhold royal assent to legislation, well, a, a minority Corbyn-led government could do that. So, actually, I think moderates and conservatives in Britain would be outraged well, I think, if I think, someone else was doing I think this. The, and I can't understand why you're not outraged well, now. I agree that's a danger. Um, but I think uh, the reason um, I'm less concerned about that than you, even though you were until recently a member of the Labour Party, um, is that, first of all, I don't think it will provide a John McDonald-led Labour government, minority government, with the kind of cover you're talking about. The cover we're talking about here is in large part derives from the fact that the government is taking these measures in order to enact the will of the British people as expressed in one of the largest um, electoral contests that, that, that's ever taken place in this country. If Labour is elected on, say, you know, 36% of the vote uh, and a majority didn't vote for a Labour government, it just forms a minority government, perhaps in collusion with the SNP, it won't have the kind of cover that this, it won't have the licence that this government is granting itself to behave in this abnormal way. But secondly, I have no doubt that John MacDonald would take advantage of every single lever available to him and then some in order to railroad through God knows what, uh, and and wouldn't care whether it produces an attack of the vapours on the part of people who claim to be upholding the constitution in the House of Commons or not. But, uh, but, but you won't be able to have that attack of the vapours, Toby. I will, because of what I'm saying now. But you won't, will you? Well, because you'll have supported it all. You'll have said the state does have this power. Government is top dog. I think I will be able to have an attack of the vapours. <laughs> As you were slightly boxing me into a corner, I hope that's not how it appears. But I think I will be able to criticise a John McDonald government if that's how it behaves, because it won't have the justification, it won't have the licence that this government has, which is that it's simply trying to enact the will of the British people as expressed in a majority vote. It will only be trying to enact the will of a minority. One last question before we get on to the issue of what might happen if this government is defeated and they vote for no confidence. Yeah. Is it possible that today's decision to prorogue Parliament could be challenged in the courts? Uh, well, it is being challenged in the courts. Uh, there's an action in the, I think, Court of Session in Edinburgh. Uh, I don't think they're likely to succeed, but I don't think their chances are quite as vanishing as some people do. And it's difficult to quantify these things. I think they have a chance of success. Okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put much money on it, but I think they have a chance okay. of success. So um, Downing Street has said today that during the period in which Parliament uh, resumes sitting, which uh, is next week, uh, there will be an opportunity to table a motion of no confidence against the government. But if that motion is carried, Downing Street have said, we won't recommend to the Queen that she invites another MP 
to form a government and then invite the House of Commons to pass a vote of confidence in that government. We will simply sit on our hands for a couple of weeks. Boris Johnson will remain the caretaker PM during the run-up to the general election and the government will choose a date of the general election which post-dates October 31st, so sometime between November 1st and November 5th. So effectively, we leave the European Union before the general election is held. Uh, so effectively, the government has said, you could pass a vote of no confidence in us during the short period of time in which Parliament will be in session before it's prorogued. But there's no point in doing that because that will definitely just guarantee Brexit on October 31st. And if that's your object, waste of time. So the question arises, how constitutional and how legal, I think they're two separate questions, uh, would it be if on being defeated by a vote of no confidence, the government refused to resign and called an election for after October 31st? Yeah, um, this is all to do with how you interpret the, something called the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, which was a piece of legislation brought in by David Cameron's government back in 2011 and at the time was sold as quite a moderate reform and uh, uh, improvement in our constitutional arrangements. I've always been against that legislation on conservative grounds. I thought it was a completely unnecessary change and I thought it actually confused our constitutional arrangements and I'm now going around London telling people I told you so because yet again the country is dividing about what this act requires. Yet again, the government and its supporters are taking the most hardline pro-state power, pro-government power interpretation of it. Um, you're absolutely right that what the Fixed Term Parliament Act says in its explicit terms is that following a vote of no confidence, at least a vote of no confidence expressed in specific terms, and the exact terms are spelled out in the Act, if one of those succeeds, then um, an election will follow automatically after 14 days, unless some other government, sorry, unless the incumbent or some other government uh, passes a positive vote of confidence in itself. So it's possible for a government to restore its authority and get MPs back on board and win a, a, a vote of confidence, stop the election. Or it's possible, if the government resigns, for a new government to be appointed that can gain the confidence of the House and avoid an election. But the question is, does the government have to step aside and let someone else Govern, and this is all this. What your view on it depends on your interpretation of constitutional conventions and this fixed term parliaments act and the way they interact with each other. This gets to be extremely convoluted, technical, and nerdish, frankly, uh, constitutional discussion. Um, but my view is certainly that um, the Act was never intended to abolish all other constitutional conventions. It was not supposed to be a radical revolution in our constitutional arrangements. 
and it was not meant to empower the Prime Minister to get an election whenever he wanted. In fact, we were told by the government at the time that its intention was the opposite, to stop Prime Ministers getting elections when they wanted them. So I would interpret the Fixed Term Parliaments Act uh, as uh, interlocking with traditional conventions so that if a Prime Minister is defeated on a vote of confidence and can't restore his authority, and certainly if there's somebody else willing to govern who has a chance of governing, then the Prime Minister should step aside, the government should step aside, not have an election, but see if the other government could govern. Whereas I think the new Crown fundamentalists, all those who believe in all power to the centre and 10 Downing Street, they will say it should be up to the Prime Minister. And if he wants an election, he should get an election. Won't they not just say that? In fact, I don't suppose they'll say that at all. Won't their argument be that the Prime Minister is not, under the Fixed Term Parliament Act, legally obliged to resign on suffering a loss in a no-confidence vote, that the Fixed Term Parliament Act permits the Prime Minister to remain in power uh, and try and see if in two weeks' time a vote of confidence can be passed in his government and if it can't, the Fixed Term Parliaments Act permits him to choose the date of the next general election. I mean, there are some constraints on that, so it partly depends on when the vote of no confidence is. But it looks as though it would permit the Prime Minister to pick a date after October 31st. So there's an issue about how constitutionally legitimate behaving in that way would be. But legally, it would be permissible and therefore difficult to obstruct in the courts. We'll get on to the issue of how affected the constitutional position is by whether or not there is someone waiting in the wings who could command the confidence of the House of Commons. But just from a purely legal point of view, isn't the government, if it was to do that, on fairly safe grounds? I agree it's on fairly safe grounds legally. Uh, there are some interesting legal arguments being developed by one or two people. There's a, there's a legal academic called um, Tom Hickman, if I'm getting his name right, who has made quite a good argument that he thinks that you can um, uh, infer the existence of constitutional conventions on the resignation from the text of the Fixed Term Parliaments Act. So. I don't think they're home and dry legally as much as they might like, but fairly safe, I think is fair. And, and, and do you think, but it sounded like from your summary before, that you think for Boris to refuse to resign on losing a vote of no confidence would be uh, constitutionally illegitimate, regardless of whether or not there is someone waiting in the wings who could command the confidence of the House of Commons. You think it would be more open and shut. It would be straightforwardly constitutionally illegitimate for him to refuse to step aside if there was someone waiting in the wings, but still illegitimate, even if there wasn't. Is that broadly right? Yes. The big division on the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, the really big disagreement, is between those who think 
that a prime minister defeated on a vote of confidence can simply decide, simply has free discretion about whether there should be an election or not. So, yeah. And those who think that at some point in the critical 14 days following a, a, the loss of a, a confidence motion, that during that period he does or can have a, not a legal, but a constitutional duty to resign in some circumstances. Now, I disagree with some other legal academics and constitutional thinkers about in, when that duty to resign would would um, arise. But I think the big division is between those who believe in a duty to resign, like me, at some point or in some circumstances, and those who, like Boris Johnson, and he must be in this camp based on the things Tim Downing Street has been saying today, those who believe it's simply the unfettered power of the Prime Minister to decide these things. If you think a Prime Minister who doesn't resign on losing a no-confidence vote is acting unconstitutionally, does that mean you think Jim Callaghan was acting unconstitutionally when he didn't resign in 1979 on losing a no-confidence vote, but instead called a general election and remained as caretaker PM during that general election period? No, I don't, because our constitutional, our constitutional law was different then. There wasn't the Fixed Term Parliament Act, whose intention was to prevent uh, Prime Ministers having elections when they, they wanted them. Well, the, the, you see, but I think the Fixed Term Parliament Act doesn't nullify constitutional convention. No, but it, it doesn't. But it certainly chops off one limb of it, doesn't it? Sounds there's, like you're picking and choosing a bit there. No, I don't think so, Toby. There, there can be no doubt that the Fixed Term Parliament Act has in, it affected, to some extent, the operation of the traditional conventions on when a government should resign and the formation of a new one. It must be so, because part of the old convention was the option that the Prime Minister had to ask for a dissolution, to ask the Queen. Well, that, that option has been removed by the Fixed Term Parliament Act. That's why, if you take this uh, interpretation of the Fixed Term Parliament Act that says it's all up to the Prime Minister, then the, that reading and that approach to the Act gives the Prime Minister and the central government more power than they had in Jim Callaghan's day. Because Jim Callaghan had to get the Queen's permission. Boris Johnson will not. As you rightly said, he'll be able to sit on his hands and the automatic operation of law would cause an election. The conventions have definitely been affected. The question is how? Some people would say they've been, in effect, completely replaced by a statutory code, almost a codified constitution of this. And all the government has to do is follow the letter of that legislation. And that's, in a way, the case you're putting to me. Others like me would say that elements, at least, of the old convention apply. The Prime Minister can't ask for an election. He could ask the House of Commons for a two-thirds vote for an election. 
after it defeats on a matter of confidence. But the whole point of the Fixed Term Parliament Act seems to me to be to fix the terms of Parliament. In other words, to favour, as compared with Jim Callan's era, to slant the, the Constitution in favour of the government changing, not a dissolution of Parliament. So I don't think that the, the 1979 comparison isn't as helpful to the government's case as, as I think you suspect. I, I think one of the things which complicates this is that suppose Boris Johnson acted in the way you want him to act. Um, and he um, resigned on yeah. suffering a no-confidence defeat. Um, if an attempt was then made by Jeremy Corbyn or someone else to form a government, and that government was then then failed to pass a confidence vote, um, then Parliament would be dissolved and an, an, a general election would automatically take place. The difficulty is that during that period, the caretaker PM would be the person who had tried and failed to secure the support of the House of Commons two weeks after Boris lost his vote of no confidence. Yes. And the, the danger is that that caretaker PM, let's say it's Jeremy Corbyn, uh, let's say it's Dominic Grieve, um, or Ken Clark, or Anna Soubry, um, that they could, acting as caretaker PM, request an Article 50 extension, perhaps for a year, perhaps for two years. Whatever the intentions of the framers of the Fixed Term Parliament Act, I mean, they had different intentions, it cannot have been to empower an MP who comes to the fore in that febrile two-week period and who cannot command the confidence of the House of Commons, it cannot have been their intention to empower him to do something so politically significant with no authority at all. It, it can't, can it, Toby, would you agree with me that it can't have been Parliament's intention to empower anyone who doesn't have the confidence of the House of Commons to do something very political, as you said? Can it? Well, that includes the government that's just lost the confidence of the House of Commons. So you see, well, now, the, the, you have the difference the, is. now you have the choice of whether you believe that you can justify the government exercising, making big political initiatives, committing the nation, well, just because it has power over the levers of state. And this is what I mean well, about the, the, the division in yes, conservatism. Yes. So, Are you a statist conservative, well, statist authoritarian yes. conservative, or do you think the same constitutional rules should apply to all politicians in Parliament? I think the counter-argument would be that if Boris sits on his hands for those two weeks, runs down the clock, by default triggers a general election, and doesn't request an extension to Article 50, so we automatically leave on October 31st, that wouldn't be the equivalent of a caretaker PM asking for an extension of Article 50, because our leaving on October 31st is the inevitable consequence of Parliament's decision uh, to trigger Article 50. Had, had it been simply a prime ministerial decision, then I think we'd be in different territory. But the fact is, that was a decision ratified by Parliament. So 
it is now simply living with the consequences of its own decision. It wouldn't be Boris intervening to impose on Parliament something that Parliament didn't want. It would be Boris effectively bringing about the outcome Parliament legislated for through inaction. But, but we know if Johnson really had a strong argument that Parliament wanted no deal, then he wouldn't need the prorogation that he has asked for. So we know that that isn't really the will of Parliament. And the other argument... But it was the will of Parliament... To leave the EU, but not with no deal. Well, the logic of the Article 50 process is that we leave when that has run its course, whether we have a deal at that point or not. Unless there's an extension. Yes. That's what Article 50 says. It's what the EU Withdrawal Act says. There's far right, too- unless there's an extension, but that yeah. doesn't mean that it was the will of Parliament to continue to ask for extensions until we can get a deal. Well, why not let's test that? Why not let Parliament debate it in September and October? Well, it still will have an opportunity to do that. It will have much less opportunity to do that. I agree we'll still have some. But why not let's ask Parliament whether it wants an extension or... Um, or, or, or no deal. Can, can I step us yeah, to sure. the bigger picture again? It, rather than all this kind of bickering and the important question of, after a no-confidence vote, does the government have to resign? Who would be the Prime Minister who set the election date? Really, what we need is moderate, sensible, conservative normal traditional British constitutional behaviour from both government and opposition. And I think, uh, I would call on the government, I don't think I'm crying in the wilderness, but I would call on the government to return to being conservatives, to have a moderate attitude to their own powers, and not to try to read every aspect of Britain's traditional constitution in the most... um, pro-executive way that could possibly be done and do things like read the fixed-term parliament in a way that blasts out all notions of things like constitutional duties. No, let's return to moderation. What that should... I think, I accept, I admit that I'm an opponent of Brexit. I think Brexit could be done. It could be done in a way that didn't shatter the United Kingdom, that didn't divide our population, that didn't break our constitution. But that would require... Boris Johnson should be safe. If he wants this election about no deal, what he should do is agree a temporary extension. Because if no deal happens, it's irrevocable. He should do something that will hold the ring and say, whether we leave with no deal, his policy, or whether we do something else should depend on the outcome of this election and we'll have an extension pending it. That would be normal, reasonable, moderate, mainstream British Conservative behaviour. And if that was what was being done, somebody like me would not be all that happy as a Remainer. I would fear that he would win that election. But I wouldn't really have any complaint constitutionally. What's actually happening is an authoritarian railroading of this country by a government seeking that's derailing our constitution and seeking to just strain all the levers of the state 
against the country and to impose and to impose a policy on it. And that's why I'm so worried about it. It's why I think it's sinister and why I'm completely opposed to it. What you consider to be the moderate, reasonable, constitutional position just so happens to be a position which makes it much less likely, not impossible, but much less likely that we'll leave the European Union on October 31st. I think the difficulty with this discussion, which you... But why do we have to, Toby? Why do we have to leave on October 31st? I think that we have tested the patience of those who voted to leave three years ago to breaking point. I think they are fed up to the back teeth of seeing Parliament at sixes and sevens over this and unable to agree on a course of action. They're bewildered as to why we haven't left already when Theresa May said that we would leave numerous times when both parties, both main political parties, stood on a platform of respecting the result of the referendum, when Parliament, by an overwhelming majority, decided to trigger Article 50, and so on and so forth. I think we've tested their patience to breaking point. And if another Prime Minister who has pledged to leave by a fixed date changes his mind, um, then I think we would see civil unrest on the streets of England. We would see widespread disaffection and alienation on the part of the people who voted leave, many of whom hadn't voted in many general elections before the EU referendum. I think it would make a mockery of democracy. And if we want all the British people to keep faith with democracy and parliamentary democracy, Politicians have to start keeping their promises. They have to do what they've said they're going to do and leave, and leave by October 31st. Um, that's my main reason. Um, and I think it's all very well saying, let's return to a period of moderation and reasonableness and a more consensual interpretation of what the Constitution permits and doesn't permit. And I'm all for that. But unfortunately, I don't think that can happen until after we've left. Um, it's not going to happen before we've left because each side is going to claim that it is acting reasonably and moderately and in keeping with the spirit of the Constitution. And it just so happens that they're acting in that way favours the outcome they want. And there's never going to be any agreement. We're never going to meet in the middle um, as to what constitutes reasonable, moderate constitutional behaviour. So until we've lance this boil until we can move on, move past this incredibly divisive issue, we won't be able to return to normality in the way that we both want. There you go. Well, Carl, thank you very much for talking to me. And uh, it's good anyway that two people who disagree so profoundly about this and all the associated issues can have a reasonably civilised conversation. We'll fight afterwards. <laughs> thank you. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.